And as we continue, we're going to look at the Christmas story. I've read uh, two parts of the Christmas story uh, to you from Luke's gospel. But we're going to now look at another aspect of it from Matthew's gospel. So I encourage you to to grab one of those Bibles there in front of you. Uh, In the hymn book holders, there are little red Bibles. And uh, if you're seated near the front, those are underneath the seats. Uh, Make sure you have a Bible either in your lap that that you can see or next to you that you can see. Uh, Because what I have to say is really not that important, but what God says in His Word is crucially and eternally important. So make sure you have a Bible that you can see, either one for yourself or one right next to you. And turn to the very first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel account and the first book of the New Testament. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and I want to read verses 1 through 11. And then we will consider what those verses uh, are saying to us. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are verses that are commonly read during the Christmas season, along with the closing eight verses of chapter 1, which we did not read together. Chapter 1 of this gospel tells us that Jesus was born to be the king of Israel. The king of Israel was born of a virgin. But did anybody acknowledge his kingship? That's the question. Did anyone give him the honor to a king? The answer to that question is yes, there were some, but ironically, it wasn't his own people. It wasn't the Jewish people who acknowledged the birth of King Jesus. It was these foreigners from the east. That's what Matthew tells us here in chapter 2. Notice this story as we go back through it now, verse by verse. Notice verse 1, what we are told. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Matthew sets this story in the days of Herod the king, who was also known as Herod the Great. Herod was an Idumean or a descendant of the Edomites, who are the offspring of Esau, the brother of Jacob. 
He, Herod, was the king of Israel, which explains why he was so threatened by the news that a baby had been born who was the king of the Jews. We know from history that Herod was a distrustful, jealous, suspicious, and brutal leader. The other identification we need to solidify in verse 1, if we really want to understand this story, is the wise men from the east. Now, listen carefully as I say this. Contrary to popular opinion and contrary to the popular Christmas carol, these were not three kings from the Orient. They, these were men from Persia or ancient Babylon who studied various fields of learning to gather all the knowledge and wisdom they could learn. From their vast studies and observation, they knew there was going to be a king born in Israel. It's almost certain that they learned that information about the coming Messiah from the writings of Daniel the prophet. In the book of Daniel chapter 9, there is a very specific, detailed, prophetic prediction stating the time when the Messiah would be on the scene. Therefore, if these wise men knew the time frame to look for, and since they had this unusual star pointing to, to some kind of unique occurrence, it prompted them to travel all the way from the land of Babylon and Persia to the city of Jerusalem. And when they arrived in the city of Jerusalem, they began asking a question. Verse 2 tells us what it was. They were saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. The present participle at the beginning of this verse suggests that they were asking this question over and over and over again. Now just think about all the commotion and the stir this would have caused in Jerusalem. Here is a group of Persian wise men who would have stood out just because of their wardrobe, the way they were dressed, and they're asking everyone they meet about some newborn king. Not only would they have drawn attention to themselves by their dress, this may have been a rather large group going through the city. Because of the difficulty and danger of travel, it was rare to travel that kind of distance in a small group of two or three or four. There may have been 10 or 20 or even more of them. So picture that scene in your mind. A large group of Persian men dressed in their royalty and their, their, their garb of, of, uh, of a high position because they were such wise men. And they are going around the city of Jerusalem asking about a newborn king whom they desired to worship. Needless to say, this would have created no small disturbance. It, do, it doesn't take much to cause a disturbance in Jerusalem. never has. And this would have definitely caused a disturbance in Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. As I mentioned earlier, Herod was distrustful, jealous, suspicious, and protective of his power even when he didn't need to be. But when this occurred, it really threatened him. Here was a large entourage of Persian wise men who were asking everyone they meet about a baby who is the king of the Jews. That was Herod's title, king of the Jews, even though the Jewish people rejected him as such. Because Herod was not Jewish, but Idumean, as I mentioned earlier, 
The Jewish people never really accepted him as their king. They saw him as an arm of the Roman Empire, an arm of Rome, not as one of their own. Herod knew this. He was no dummy. And this was one of the reasons why he did so many things to try to earn the favor of the Jewish people. That was his motivation behind the elaborate reconstruction of the Temple Mount and the Temple Complex, much of which stands still today. Herod was trying to get on the good side of the Jewish people so they would accept him. But since they weren't very accepting of him, when he heard that these wise men were looking for a baby who has been born king of the Jews, he was disturbed and upset. The last phrase in this verse says, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was all Jerusalem disturbed? Let me mention three reasons. Number one, the people of Jerusalem knew that this would upset Herod. And they knew how irrational Herod was. They knew he had the potential to do crazy things, which he did many of in his reign, even to the point of going on a killing spree, killing innocent people. So when Herod was troubled, let me tell you, everyone else was troubled. That's one reason. Secondly, many of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem would have also been threatened by the thought of a Jewish king being born. Why? Well, they didn't want someone to come along to distort distort or destroy the status quo. Those who had positions of power and prominence and prestige wanted things to stay as they were. This would have included the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, etc. So they would have been disturbed by this announcement of a baby who has been born king of the Jews. And then thirdly, Many of the residents of Jerusalem could have been disturbed by this announcement because they could have been concerned about what Rome would do if Rome heard about it. The Roman Empire, which ruled the world at this time, allowed some independence for Israel, some freedom, limited, but the Roman government could crack down and make life life miserable at a moment's notice. So when the residents of Jerusalem heard this announcement, they may have been disturbed at the thought of what Rome would do in response. And so the last phrase here in this verse says, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was disturbed, the leadership hierarchy of Jerusalem was disturbed, and the people of the city were disturbed. Everyone's disturbed at this point. Now let me bring this to our modern day so we don't leave this as a, merely a history lesson. As you think about this, what happened on the, the, first, the, the, the first Christmas, if you will, as you think about that, I want you to think about the fact that this is exactly the way Jesus is. He is disturbing. That may sound strange, because when you think of a little baby in a manger, you don't think of something, very uns- uh, something disturbing. But Jesus is very disturbing. He is very unsettling. It's impossible to have a neutral response to Jesus. You either receive him as your king and you submit to him, you submit your life to him, or if you're not willing to do that, then he is disturbing to you. He is unsettling to you. He came to this world to be the king. That's why he came. And because he is king, the only proper response is submission and obedience. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to submit your life to Christ and obey Him, the reality of His kingship will be disturbing to you and troubling to you and unsettling to you. I'll say it again. It is impossible 
to have a neutral response to Jesus if, now hear this, if you really understand who he is. Now, the reason I had that last phrase is I realize what a lot of people do today. A lot of people do this. They redefine Jesus so they can be comfortable with it. They, they, they won't look at the Jesus in Scripture. They won't listen to what he said. They won't look at who he was. They just redefine him in their mind so they can be comfortable with him and live the way they want to live. But if you see Jesus for who he really is, who he claimed to be, what he said, what he stood for, it's impossible to have a neutral response to him. It's just as true today as it was back then when he was born. Verse 4 tells us, So when Herod had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod knew exactly whom to ask about the birthplace of the Messiah. He knew the chief priests and scribes would know the answer. Though they didn't follow it, this group, of, this group knew Hebrew Scripture. They knew the Old Testament. The chief priests were mostly Sadducees, and they were the ones who made up the temple hierarchy. The scribes were mostly Pharisees, and they were the ones who were the professional scholars of the Old Testament law, which is why they're called lawyers. So Herod asked these men where the Christ was to be born. And they knew the answer. Verse 5. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. They knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born because Micah 5.2 states it very clearly. So Matthew quotes part of that verse. In verse 6, he quotes from Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know the question that comes to my mind when I read this verse and this story? Why? Why didn't the chief priests and the scribes bother to go to Bethlehem to check it out for themselves? Why? They knew this prophecy. They quoted it. They, they had to have known about this unusual star. And Bethlehem is only about five to six miles south of Jerusalem. It's a very easy walk. It's on the patriarchal ridge route. You don't have to go way down and up. It's just really easy to get there. It's not a great distance. So they could have easily made the effort to go to Bethlehem just to check it out for themselves, but they did not. That's astonishing when you stop to realize that the chief priests were the theological minds of the day. They were the ones with the great administrative teaching and leadership skills. The scribes were the linguists, the interpreters, and the ones who knew all the culture and history surrounding the biblical data. These two groups knew all the information. They had all the facts, but they didn't bother to go to check it out for themselves. You know why? Prideful indifference. They thought they were just fine. What did they need with the Messiah? What did they need with the Savior? They're not that bad. Oh, sure, make a few mistakes. Everybody makes a few mistakes in life. But we're not awful sinners. Oh, what damning pride. They didn't even put forth the effort to go see the Savior, the Messiah. And he was so close. They knew the answer to Herod's question, but they didn't bother to do anything about it. Verse 7 tells us, Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. He wanted to know the timing because as we learn later in the chapter, he's going to kill all the male babies who were born even close to the time of Jesus' birth. Verse 8 tells us, 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. We all know this was not Herod's intent. Not by any means. He had no interest in worshiping Jesus. He only wanted to destroy him because he was threatened by Jesus. So we read in verse 9, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the where, where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. The implication of the way this reads is that they had seen the star in the past, and that is what prompted their journey, but it didn't remain indefinitely. It didn't stay there, or they wouldn't have had to ask where the Messiah was to be born. They could have just followed the star right to Bethlehem. But once they arrived in Israel and found out that the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, they headed there in hopes they could find the child. While they were on their way, or when they arrived in Bethlehem, the star reappeared. That's why they were overjoyed. Finally, their long journey had come to an end. The star was standing over a home where the young child was residing with his parents. This was the child they had come to see. This is the the one they wanted to see and worship. This is the one who had been predicted by the prophet Daniel some 500 years earlier. This is the one who would eventually bring in everlasting righteousness. No wonder they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. They have finally made it to the place where the star was indicating that the one who was the fulfillment of their dreams and longings was right inside. What an overwhelming feeling that would have produced. Don't allow your familiarity with this story to rob you of the thrill and the joy. This group had traveled a long, long way in the desert of the Middle East. It had taken them a long time, all the while wondering, will we find him? Will we be able to locate him? Wondering about their hopes and their dreams. The sense of anticipation was immense. And so we read in verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. You almost get the impression that they just collapsed in the emotion of the moment. The text says when they saw Jesus, they fell down and worshipped Him. It's interesting to me that it doesn't say they knelt down. They fell down and worshipped Him. It reads to me that they just collapsed in the emotion of the moment. They are overcome with emotion and worship just spills out of them. Also notice from this verse that they saw Jesus with Mary, but they only worshipped Jesus. It's very important. They didn't worship Jesus and venerate Mary. They worshipped Jesus and Jesus alone. And then verse 11 concludes, And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, this is where the idea of three wise men comes from because of the three gifts. But the text doesn't say there were three. It says they presented three kinds of gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were royal gifts suitable for a king. They were looking for a king. They brought gifts worthy of a king. These wise men knew this young child was the king. Now once again so that we don't leave this as a history lesson. 
I want you to think modern day. And as you think about this story, with which you probably are somewhat familiar, I want you to think about yourself and try to figure out which character are you in this story. Or maybe a better way to ask it, which character are you like in this story? Let me explain. Maybe you're like Herod. That is, you're hostile to Jesus. You're hostile. You're fighting him because you don't want Jesus to be your king. You want to be your own king. You want to do your own thing. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing, live my own life, go my own way. If that's you, you are like Herod, threatened by Jesus because you know he's king, but you want to be king. But maybe you're like the chief priests and the scribes. Maybe that's where you fit in the story. Remember, they were indifferent to Jesus. They already had their religion. Why did they need Jesus? So are you so secure in your religion, your religious activity, your religiosity, that you have no room for the Savior himself? Maybe you're like the people of Jerusalem, the residents of the city, who didn't want some king to come into their world and disturb the status quo and upset things. They didn't, want to, they didn't want a king to upset the apple cart and change their lives. That's where a lot of people, that's, the, that's where a lot of people are at today. They, Jesus is okay, kind of out there, but they don't want him to change their lives. As long as he leaves me alone. They're willing to pay lip service to Jesus. They're willing to attend a Christmas Eve service, a Christmas service, but they aren't willing to take Jesus as king of their lives to obey him daily throughout the year. Is that... Is that what you're like? Is that how you fit in this story? Or, here's the other possibility. Are you like the wise men who came to bow before the king to acknowledge him as their king? To worship him and lay their lives before him as king? I tell you, I tell you this Christmas Eve, you're one or the other. You're like Herod, you're like the religious leaders, you're like the people of Jerusalem, or you're like the wise men. Those are the only options. As I said earlier, there's no such thing as a neutral response to Jesus. You're either fighting him, or you're threatened by him, or you're intimidated by him, or you're upset by him, or you're bothered by him, or you worship him and acknowledge him as your king. I pray that this Christmas you will be in the latter category. Let's bow our heads as we close in prayer this evening. And as we do, I would encourage you once again, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed so you're not looking around or thinking about anyone else or any movement or whatever, think, think about this story, familiar story to many, and ask yourself the question once again, which character am I in this story? Who, who am I like? Like Herod? Like the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees? Am I like the people of Jerusalem? Or am I like the wise men who worship and lay their lives before King Jesus? Jesus came to be king. That's what we're celebrating tonight, tomorrow, Christmas. Jesus is king. He came to be king. 
And he will be king of kings and lord of lords. And Scripture says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You may not bow your knee to Jesus in this life, but you will bow your knee to Jesus at some point. I pray you will do so willingly, humbly in this life before it's too late. And you have to do so in the next life. Father, this is a familiar story to so many of us here in our culture. We think about it, we hear about it, we read about it uh, at this time of the year often. But maybe we we don't stop to think about it in this light and think about uh, how it relates to us today or how we relate to it in our own lives. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would would really drive home the just the contemporary nature of this story, the applications that are present in it for us. And to see ourselves in the story as either a Herod who, who wanted to be his own king and was threatened by Jesus or the, the religious leaders who didn't really have room for him because they already had their religion or the people of Jerusalem who didn't want to be bothered. They just wanted the status quo. Or maybe, hopefully, like the wise men from the east who loved this king and worshipped him and laid their lives before him. I pray that would be true of of each and every one of us who has been gathered here this evening. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.